You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Amen. Now we come to the section, Men of Greater Faith. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. These brothers up here, Raul, Michael, Princeton, Sean, Samuel, Michael, Ola, and Raja, they're not the ancients. They're the present men of greater faith. Let's give it up for our brothers, and let's listen to these charges from God. Amen. Greater purity. Michael gave us an incredible sermon that included about purity. Amen. And really, he gave us a solution. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. What I'm going to do right now is just give you some practicals on how to resist the devil. Amen? The issue with impurity starts here. It's lust. If you can control your lust, then you can definitely control masturbation, pornography, sex, etc. Everything starts in the mind and leads to the heart, so so you go into sin. If you control lust, you can control any type of impurity. You won't masturbate, you won't watch pornography, you won't flirt around, you won't be sexually immoral. First thing, Job 31.1. It says, I'm in a covenant with my eyes. Do not look lustfully at a woman. What Job 31.1. Something very important as disciples. It's just not, not to look at women. Yeah, I, I, my best friend in Sao Paulo is the road. See, God, God has given us a road. Yes, I look at the, look at the floor. I don't want to look at women. Sometimes we get in trouble because we check them out. And that's the problem. See, God has given us peripheral vision. Your peripheral vision sees motion but not detail. Yeah. So, therefore, when I see an attractive woman, I use my peripheral vision. <laughs> so I see movement, but not detail. Amen? Yeah. That's one of the things I do, and I think it's very good for lust. It's just to not look at women. Yeah. I mean, if somebody is attractive, look some other way. Try not to look. Make a covenant with your eyes to not look lustfully at a woman. <laughs> Second uh, scripture in Ecclesiastes 3.11. Yeah. Which says, which says, I have made everything beautiful in its time. Yeah. See, attraction is not sin. Yeah. The fact that you're sexually attracted to, to a woman, that's not sin. That's healthy. Mm. However, you got to understand that when you feel attracted, that's exactly when you can be tempted. Yeah. Temptation is not sin. Attraction is attraction. It is not sin. But you got to be careful. Yeah. So at work, if you're attracted to, to a girl, you have not sinned. What are you going to do? Invite her to church. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Come on, bro. In the church, sometimes, we're attracted to sisters. Yeah. What are you going to do? you got to be careful with that sister. Yeah. I, I, I say hi to the sister. I hug the sister. I don't have a lot of fellowship with that sister. Right now. now, she may think I'm being rude. That's okay. At least I'm not lusting. Amen? Yeah. So we got to be radical with lust even in the church. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. 
Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that may, I may not sin against you. The other thing that really helps is whenever you feel a lossful thought, just look at the scriptures. I recommend brothers to laminate scriptures and put them uh, uh, in your keychain. <laughs> Everybody knows that. I, I recommend that because sometimes you don't have time to just look at the scriptures and open the, the scriptures in, in, the, in the subway, in the tube. So therefore you have your keychain, you look at them, they're laminated, the scriptures are right there. You read them and it makes an impact in your heart, amen? Hebrews 12, verse 1. Throw everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Yeah, tomorrow. See, sin entangles, but there are things that hinder. You gotta be really careful with lust. Uh, your phone, for example, if you watch porn, then you 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 do uh, you put an app there that everything you watch, your mother watches. Uh, you you don't go on the internet unless someone else is there. Amen? amen. There's so much more. Read the book, amen. And to God be the glory, amen. amen. of Jesus' words in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35 where he says it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, I really believe he was convinced of this. You know, to bless, we know what it means, right? To be superlatively happy. You know, I'm going to look at two things with you very quickly here this morning. First is, you know what, the reason that givers are happy is because it frees us from the sin of greed. And what is greed? Greed is a selfish and it's an excessive desire for more of something than what you need. It is a selfish and excessive desire for something more than what you need. Greed is offensive to God. Givers are happy. That's what God says. That's what the Bible says here. Givers are happy, but I think that people are possessive. We try to fill our lives with possessions and things. That's what we do. You know, it's, we think it's going to make us happier, more content, more comfortable. But it doesn't. Therefore, we just fill ourselves up with more items, more possessions, <coughs> more things. And it becomes a cycle that's tough to break. And the world's completely bought into it. And they, and they have. And, and I think that we have to make sure that in the kingdom that we don't bring that worldly mindset into it. And it creeps into the church. We've got to protect the church from greed. So being generous is the other key here that we have to be really, really be greater in our giving. Let, let me explain this. Generosity is the key to giving. Yeah. And, and think about it for a moment, who David was. In Psalm 139, his heart, what, what, what's he say? He says, God, search me. He says, know my heart, test me, see if there's anything offensive in, in me. And, and so even as brothers this morning, I think what we've got to ask ourselves is, God, have you searched my heart? Please search my heart. Is there any offensive way in me? Do I possess greed? Do I want possessions? Do I want things that I really don't need, that aren't relevant or important and help me build up the kingdom? Because all that matters is building up the kingdom. That's right. That's all that matters. And, you know, Paul says in Acts chapter 20 right here, he says... In verse 33, he says, I've not coveted anybody's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that my hands, these hands, supplied my own needs 
and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that, that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remember the words of Jesus himself. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Paul said it right here. I didn't covet. I don't want anything. My hands have supplied what I needed. Everything even, Kip even talked about Acts 18, what went on. The baptisms weren't there because he was working. Yeah. And it's freeing ourselves up to understand these things. And I tell you, I, for, for Sharon and I, we're grateful. We're just, we're, we're just grateful to be able to work for the church. Yeah. And uh, I'm so thankful that, that we can even supplement what we make. Because we did make money in the world. Yeah. But we set money aside to take care of ourselves and to be able to be in this way. We don't want to be a burden. All that we care about is the evangelization of the nation. grateful for God. Paul consistently reminds the disciples all through Ephesians. Do you remember that you've been chosen? You've been redeemed? It's a spiritual blessing. God's given you grace. He's given you peace. He's lavished it on us. He's adopted us. His own heart constantly is grateful. He remembers the brothers and sisters in his prayers and by name. You know, we went to bed last night being grateful. You know, because of the good news report. This is what it's about. It keeps us unified, it keeps us informed, and it motivates us to be grateful, to be greater givers. That's what we need to have. It's got to protect yourself from being ingrateful, that ingratitude that can creep into our hearts. Yeah. All I can say in close is just give your heart, yeah. give your time, give your money, give your best, and you will be blessed. ourselves in the past. And when I really, I thought about this concept, I, I went, I, I was a master at worshiping myself. I would wake up in the morning and I would smoke weed. I was, I was given drugs because I, I was told that they get me high. I, I tried alcohol because I, I, I liked it for myself. And when I thought about worshiping God this, this morning, there was only one scripture that came to mind. Turn over to Acts 2. Yeah. And in verse 42, the Bible reads, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And they devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Jumped down. To verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And we find here that people came from all over the, the, the known world in this day and age to come to the time of Pentecost. And in the first century, we find that people were worshiping other things. And yet when the kingdom came, there was only thing that they could devote and worship to. And that was God. Wow. And we know that in, in, in the Greek, that word devoted here literally means addicted. It, it literally wow. means addicted. And when I, when I think about what the world is worshiping right now, they are addicted to all these different things. They're addicted to false religion. And they love the Hillsong. It's, it's one of the most popular churches today because they love it. It's a drug. 
When I think about people going to their jobs and, and money and finance, they're addicted. They're worshiping these things. And I go, how do we out-worship Satan and, and Satan in the world? It, it starts with our personal worship and devotion. I think my, my challenge is, is very simple to the brothers. I'm inspired by some of the other younger brothers that I've I've seen here worshiping God, and I yeah. can tell I can tell there's something being stirred in their hearts. Yeah. Yeah. My brother here, the Filipino brother. I mean, this brother, yeah. he's on fire. Yeah. Like this, my brother right here to the to the right of him with the blue. He's on he's on fire. Yeah. Yeah. And and when he's addicted, I he addicts me. I go, I want some of that. And yet when I was reached out to a, a, a woman, very, very simply, she gave me that addiction to God. She's telling me that she has something better than her old life and drugs and immorality. And I go, what is it? She goes, you really want to know? I go, yes, I really want to know because I, I think you're on something right now. She goes, very simply, I almost fell out of my chair. And I said, hey, I want what you have. The challenge and, and the question that I leave you with this morning is, do people want what you have? Do people want what you have? If people don't want what you have, I think the challenge for every brother is to go to their disciple. Go to their evangelist and go, what would you like to see in me that I don't have? And what you don't have is what you cannot give to the world. If we want to overcome addiction, we want to overcome immorality, if we want to overcome whatever the new drug is on the streets, we have to give people the worship that God wants us to have and the God be the best. Timothy chapter 4. The title given to me is Greater Evangelism. Who loves evangelism? Okay, that's the problem. We love ourselves more than we love evangelism. Because if we love evangelism, this whole room would be screaming and roaring. Evangelism simply means to bring good news. Evangelist means a bringer of good news. Second yeah. Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, it says, preach the word. Verse, four, verse 5, it says, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, and the church says, Amen. We see here that we don't need a title of an evangelist to be a bringer of good news like the women's church. And what is the good news? That Jesus died for all sin, was buried and raised on the third day. This is the greatest piece of good news we can tell anyone. Our God is alive. He is not dead. Now, if you believe this, why aren't you sharing your faith? You know, I, I really want to challenge right at the start. Don't go a day without sharing your faith. Yeah, yeah. Have you been sharing your faith at this EMC? Yeah, yeah. Are you a bringer of good news? Yeah. 170,000 people die every day. We gotta share our faith, brothers. Well, Sean, you, you don't live the life that I live. 
You don't understand what I'm going through. Well, my point may help you out. <laughs> to do, to have greater evangelism, we need to hit our knees before we hit the campus. And that's my one and only point. Hit your knees before you hit the campus. Now we gotta evangelize the campus ministry, amen? But we gotta hit our knees in prayer. We gotta go to God in prayer. You know, the beginning of this month, I got news that my grandfather passed away. And uh, he was not a disciple. And I cried. I cried and I cried some more. But I, I didn't want to pray. And, I, and part, I just, I didn't want to evangelize because of what I was going through. But I saw that God was pushing me to have even greater prayers. And I realized that, hey, I need greater trials so I can be pushed to have greater prayers and that will produce greater evangelism while you're in the church. That same week, we baptized Chris Worth, who is in the campus ministry. Two weeks later, we baptized another guy named John O'Jury. He's in the singles ministry. And this Sunday, God willing, we will baptize a guy named Jordan. I want to bring to a close with two practicals. Pray for a record number of guests this Sunday. Yeah. We've got to hit our knees. Yeah. And I want every brother in this room to personally have a guest. Yeah. Amen. And it doesn't just stop this Sunday. Yeah. Every Sunday for the rest of the year, we all need to have guests. Yeah. Let's take it personal, brothers. Yeah. When we pray and when we evangelize, God will bring out the guests. These guests will turn into Bible studies, and these Bible studies will turn into baptism. And to God be our glory. Well, it's great to be in Europe, but it's great to be from Europe, amen? Yeah. Are there any Europeans in the house today? Yeah. Amen. Today I'm going to be preaching about greater ambition. Let's define that. It's a strong desire to do or achieve something. I appreciate Brother Luke Speck, but I asked him yesterday, bro, what sort of tone should I come with as a young man? He said, go speak to Michael, go imitate him. I said, Michael, what do you think? He says, bro, Americans have great ambition, but the Europeans, they lack ambition. I said, yeah, that's right. Actually, no. No, 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 bro, I think that's totally wrong. Europeans have ambition. It's European Christians that are the problem. For the young men, sometimes we think we have great ambition, but it turns out all we ever wanted was the approval of men because we lack great fathers. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5. We need to read our birthright. The Thessalonian church, in verse 5, Back in the day, this would have covered parts of Greece, Macedonia, Bulgaria, and Albania. Verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with much assurance. You know what kind of men we were among you, for your benefit, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. When in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
in the first century, Europe had power, had the Holy Spirit, and had great assurance. I put before you there are two types of Christians in the room right now. Those made of Lego and those made of Play-Doh. Yeah, that's right. Those made of Play-Doh are moldable. We want great ambition. We want to do great things for Europe. But some of us can be like Lego. We come to our disciples and our leaders like, hey, I only want to be this much moldable. You can piece me together in certain ways. Try not to break me. Are you a Lego Christian this morning? How many of us heard yesterday about the amount of Christians that are in London right now? How many of us really held the number? How many, how many disciples do we have in London? No, we don't have 124, we have 134. Let's get it right. I heard that and I felt sad. And I looked at myself in the mirror last night and I said, Samuel, this is all your fault. This is your fault. This is the reason why London isn't growing because of you. And I felt sad. I looked at the cultural scene. I was in Paris for a year and I came back and my family were devastated. My father died of AIDS a year and a half ago and my mother's an alcoholic. I came out of a doctor's appointment one time and I had to stop a fight in the street. I had to clean up someone's blood off the floor and call an ambulance. And there was a guy there that said, we need more people like you in the world. And that's right. What about the Europeans? When are we going to learn? It's not about what Kip says or Michael says. It's about what God is telling you right now. This is our birthright. This is you, one of us. When the atheists come to you and they ask you, what is the evidence of God? You say, it's me. I am the evidence. I am the proof that God exists. What about us this morning? What are we going to learn? What are we going to change? I came back destroyed. I was in so much impurity in Paris, so much conceit, so much lies. And I came back and I said, something's got to change. And that thing has got to be me. And I prayed to God for a new spiritual son. And that was my brother, Chris Roth. He's an Englishman. And he's studying with a guy from a Pakistani background who wants to be a disciple. He says, I'm going to study the Bible every single day. That's the European. My challenge, don't reinvent the wheel. Reinvent yourself. Make a vow to him and say, I'll have Kobe's lesson of great irritation. Paul said Europe had great power, great love, and the Holy Spirit of great assurance. And to God be all the glory. Turn your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 11. Verse 15 states, He who has ears, let him hear. Greater marriage. January the 25th, 1990, Aviacoflight 52 took off from Medellin on its way to JFK, New York. Now, if you know anything about New York City culture compared to Colombian culture, you will know that the way of communication is very different. Colombians communicate in a sort of reserved way. Excuse me, I'm sorry, do you mind? That's not what New York City is known for. You can check with Luke. Super aggressive, impatient, make it happen, or get out of the way. <laughs> On this flight, took off, arriving at JFK because of too many flights arriving at the same time, they weren't able to land. They had to circle the city. 
Eventually, the co-pilot speaking to the control tower said, we're running out of fuel. Then the pilot said, advise him we are in emergency. Did you tell him? Yes, sir. I already advised him. Tower, good evening. Climb and maintain 3,000 feet. Climb and maintain 3,000 feet? Uh, we're running out of fuel, sir. Power. I'm going to bring you about 50 miles northeast, and then you turn back on for the approach. Is that fine with you and your fuel? Pilot. I guess so. Thank you very much. Last message to come from the co-pilot at 21:32 hours. We just lost two engines. And we need priorities, please. The flight crashed in New Jersey. 73 people killed, 85 people injured, and maimed for life. Everyone here is married, and marriage has a flight number. My flight number is 17, sorry, 197. I got married the 19th of July. 1997. Your marriage is a flight number. You know, one thing, one pattern that I've seen is, is quite a few sisters coming to me asking me to speak to their husbands because they are afraid to speak to their husbands. Now, we also have a situation where we have brothers afraid to deal with their wives. Now, very telling during the recordings of this flight, one sentence recorded between the pilot and the co-pilot, they said, the guy is angry, referring to the guy in power control. See, whatever your culture is, you will bring it into your marriage. But it, it can be African, European, Caribbean, South American, but unless you have God's culture in your marriage, you will crash. See, marriage, your marriage flight will take you to the highest heights or bring you down to crash. I gave you last night an example of a couple who crashed and actually took out 70-some disciples with them. God was the perfect listener. So I want to ask you today as a husband, are you a good listener? God speaking to Abraham. Okay, for the sake of 50 righteous people, I'll save Sodom. Yeah. Abraham, well, what about 45? What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? God could have said, you know what? I am God. Be quiet. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> but then Abraham would have said later, man, God is harsh. He doesn't want to listen to me. And now he's wiping everyone out. Mm. Wow. I've seen brothers in discipling times where even if the wife is wrong. Their body language is like a box in a ring coming out for round three. <laughs> I've also seen brothers where the wife is wrong and they're in the corner scared to come out for round three. Come on, See, we got to go by God's culture. The pilots were stuck in their culture. Control tower is stuck in their culture. Pilots were afraid to say, guys, we need to let know we are going to crash. And control tower was to New York, where they said, 
what is wrong with you? And were not able to hear what they were saying. They were hearing, but they were not listening. He was ears, let him hear. Well, the challenge uh, I've been given today is to speak to you guys on greater parenting. And uh, for myself, you know, for those who know me, my name is Ola Kukoi. And uh, I'm a father to two boys, both uh, six years old. And uh, it's always an honor and a blessing to be a parent in the kingdom. You know? But living away as well, though, to learn how to parent is not an easy task. Uh, but I believe also, you know, we make it difficult for ourselves in how we parent. Because we use godly worldly principles instead of godly principles. There's one scripture I want to share with you right now that I believe even people in the kingdom struggle with this scripture. You want me to share this scripture with you? Amen. Come with me to Proverbs 22, verse 15. Proverbs 22, verse 15. The scripture says, Folly is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive him far away. You know? You read the scripture, many of us struggle with the scripture. Why? Because the scripture says, folly is bound in the heart of our little angels. When we look at our kids, we don't want to see sin in them. We don't want to see any defects in them. But the scripture says, if you really love God, you're going to see the weaknesses in them so that you can drive it out before they get bigger. One thing you have to learn is, Satan wants to parent our kids. If you don't parent your kids, I, I, I guarantee you, Satan is not far away, willing to parent your kids. Because the scripture says, folly is bound in the heart. And when you look at sin, who's close to sin? Satan. So we gotta be more closer to our kids. We gotta drive in godly character into their hearts. And drive out those folly out of their hearts. So when you look at your kids, do you see the weaknesses in your kids? You know, do you know how to drive it out? What are you going to to drive out the, the weaknesses in your kids? You know, for myself, I mean, one of the areas I really look up to when it comes to parenting is Mark and Michelle. Yeah. I believe they've got the greatest example when it comes to parenting. Yeah. And I, when I became a parent, they were the first people I ran to because I know they have the life example that I could imitate. Come on. You know, from, from speaking to Michael, one thing that Michael you know, instructed me is, you gotta spank your kids. <laughs> you gotta spank your kids. And, uh, and, and for, for me, I do feel in a way, for, even for a lot of us in the church, we struggle with that. Well, I mean, I don't want to spank my kids, you know. I'll just you know, leave them in their room for a few minutes or, you know, give them time out. No, but the scripture says you got to apply the rod. you got to spank them, you know. But we don't like that. You know what I'm saying? And in as much as you got to spank your kids, but you got to love them equally as well. For some of us, we are quick to drive the, the, the rod, but we're not quick to express our love. And I grew up in a, you know, in a household where rod was applied. And I, I understood that principle. <laughs> but rod was not applied that much. And sometimes we swim to the extreme. We apply too much, too much love, no rod. Too much rod, no love. And I say, but you gotta get the right balance. So for yourself as well, are you applying, are you spanking your kids? If you're not spanking your kids, why not? You know? If you if you if you if you love your kids too much, if you spank your kids too much, if you spank your kids too much, you gotta love them, Amen. you know. And uh, the other thing I got to learn as well is, even for my two boys, I mean I've got two lovely boys, yeah. you know. And uh, and uh, for myself, even my two boys as well, you know. The other day, 
um, they were fighting over a toy. And uh, one of them, you know, wanted a toy, and then before you know it, boom, bang his uh, brother's head, you know, on the wall. And I was like, man, you love your toy more than you love your kids. I mean, your, your brother. You know, and I had to apply discipline in there. You know, for us, so we got to apply discipline in our kids. When we look at Europe, Europe do not, does not love parenting. Europe hates parenting. Many people do not want kids because they don't want the work and the effort that goes into parenting. You know, and for those of you who don't have kids here, this, you know, this child is for you as well. Are you an example to the other kids in the church? Are you parenting the other kids that are not yours? Do you have the character that they could imitate? Yeah. You know, are you a broadly, uh, a, broad, a broadly example to these kids? Because we have to protect our kids. Right. You know, if you see someone, you know, misbehaving, do you go to the parents to really help them? Yeah. You know, for myself, you know, you know, even at the conference, someone had to disciple with my kids. I'm like, amen. You know, I was told my kids were running around in the corridor there, bro, you know, go grab your kids, you know, be an example to them. I'm like, amen, you know. They, but they want to they want to hear it. But I'm like, hey man, hey man, I gotta be a great example to my kids. Yeah. You know, for yourself as well, do you accept discipline from other people yeah. when they disciple your kids? Yeah. Or are you looking for excuses? Yeah. You know, we gotta disciple our kids in the right way. Yeah. You know, so my challenge to you is be an example to the kids. Come on. Have the character. Adopt someone as a child in the kingdom. Yes. You know, help people with their character, help them with the finance, you know, put discipline into their into their heart. You know, really help them in a dating relationship. There are many things we can really help our brothers and sisters in. Yeah. And when we look at this, let's be great parents so that we can become a greater church. Come on. To God Excellent word. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. <coughs> If I give all I possess to the poor and give all my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Go to verse 8. Love never fails. Amen. You know, uh, the greatest conversions happen when you have the greatest love factor in you. And then when you, when you start loving your people and loving, loving the people first is very important. You know, people, you may say, oh, they're disciples and they're bigger. No, no, no. They, they're disciples. But let me tell you, it takes time for them to walk the Christian walk yeah. and, and connect with God, connect with people, connect with all that stuff. Come on time, come early, do this, do that. And with all of that thing, what happens is I feel like we move to the, you know, external things rather than 
giving our love to them and pulling them from the inside. Oh, he's, uh, he's so-and-so. You gotta love the person. He's slow. You gotta love the person. This guy drinks. You gotta love the person. Oh, he's struggling. You gotta love the person. Do what you wanna do. You cannot just take out love. You cannot just do that. Look what it says over here. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love is greater than all the languages. You know how, oh, he can speak five languages, he can speak six languages, I can do six languages. But you know what, if I don't have love, I'm just good for nothing. What's the point, I can speak so many languages. It says, love is greater than prophecy. We preach, we teach, hey, love first. Love first. It says, love is greater than knowledge. I know so much, I can do that. People don't care. The love is greater than faith. To move mountains, and the Bible says, no, you know, you gotta love first. That's why it's important. Love is greater than sacrifice. You can give this my you gotta love first. People need to feel that way. And lastly, it says, love is greater than a hardship. We work hard, we go evangelize, we do this, we do that. We gotta just love the person for who the person is. Don't try to change the person. First, change yourself to love the person. Then the person changes. And he starts loving back, loving God, and loving you. And I want to say, I want to say uh, you know, for me, this uh, conference has been awesome. I'm just going back with, uh, you know, with so much of just love and connection that I have over here. And I, 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 for me, I, I, this has been what been there for the Spartans. I mean, I called the guys up. You know, I, I preached yesterday about. They're made to die, but they know the first guy that's ready to die for them is me. Come on, bro. They know that. And let us be the same. The first ones to die for our people. And God bless you. Amen, bros. That, that was oh, Let's give the brothers another yeah. round of applause right there. My best friend is the road. And then he parted with, read the book. Greater giving. Givers are happy because they're grateful. Greater worship. Do people have what you have? And then Princeton added, Outworship the world. Greater evangelism. I, my heart was, I did not know about the passing of your grandfather. I'm sorry about that, bro. I know the pain of losing a little one. And Sean's words were simply hit knees before hit campus. Greater ambition? Well, Sammy has laid it out. When you heard 134, it hurts. And he says, when you're talking to ages, just tell them, I am the evidence of God. Greater marriage. I found out my 
Marriage had a flight number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're either going to soar to new heights or it was crash. <laughs> and I better understand the control tower. <laughs> Hola. No rod, no love. A deep thought. Why do people don't want children these days? Is they don't want to love and to work. Greater conversion. Love never fails. Change yourself to love people, and they will love you back. Now, right here, guys, there are so many decisions we could make to do greater things for God. And I really hope today that as, as you walk out, you're, you're solidifying concrete things that you are going to weep and pray about. And make a vow. We need to thank our God for having brothers like this that spoke the truth and loved the world. Thank you, thank you. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one.